0: HHW presents Who Reads the Watchmen? Issue number 11, part 2 By the Legion of Dudes
1: Banded together from remote galaxies Are the most sinister villains of all time the Legion of... Dude dude, 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 dude. dude is dudeness, duder, el Duderino. Dude, 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 dude. Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of
2: the universe. Leave the body, leave the mind. Leave the body, leave the mind.
3: It's the Legion of Dudes podcast.
2: I've seen the demons.
3: And now, here's the dudes. Well, um, it's still one minute to midnight. Hey everybody, this is Adam Umac from the Legion of Dudes podcast, and joining me tonight are Jim Dietz, Russell, Russell Latham, and John Marchianti. What we have here, guys, is part two of Who Reads the Watchman issue number 11. Uh, we thought it would be a good place to stop it since our conversation with Raf was an entire three hours. Man, did he talk our ears off. Um, So we're going to present this issue a little backwards today. We're re-recording this so we can give you an update on the Watchmen movie and talk about the new trailer that was released in Japan for the movie, and then we're going to flip back over to um, the initial episode 11 with Raf from the Geeks New Unite Network. Um, Also, we're going to split issue 12 in half, too. We're going to do... Um, the first issue, excuse me, the first episode of issue twelve with our buddy Paul French from Legion of Substitute Podcasters, and the second part will be a Legion of Dudes roundtable to kind of wrap Watchmen up. And of course, uh, we're going to have our buddy Lenny Cooper on for the Watchmen movie episode as that comes out in March. So, Russ, as is tradition with the Legion of Dudes, I'm going to throw it over to you for our discussion topic, which is the big time Fox Warner Brothers lawsuit update. The jury is in. We have reached a verdict, and that verdict is what? Russ.
4: The verdict is the movie is a big go. It, it, you know, I think it, it got a little dicey there. You know, with that with that Christmas Eve um, judge's ruling that basically said Fox has distributor rights at minimum, um, and they really thought it was going to get really ugly uh, there for a while. But it looks like Warner Brothers they they're supposed to have a hearing on the twentieth of January. Uh, January, they asked the judge to cancel that. Which at that time, that was early last week, everybody was pretty confident that a settlement was going to work out because it really wasn't looking good for Warner Brothers as far as kind of having their cake and eating it too. So uh, it's funny, the initial reports that came out said that Fox was going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of 8.5% of the gross, some sort of cash payment, um, and that was it. No, you know, they're not going to be named as a distributor or anything like that. Um they would have no, you know, piece of the, to any sequels or any ancillary um stuff at all. And like the more, most recent like
3: um I'm sorry. Anything that would tie into the movie like the D C Direct Toys or the making of the movie kind of books like that. Is that what you mean?
4: Y- y- mainly sequels and spin offs or, you know um, you know, I guess potentially anything anything media wise, you know, was was what media I understood games. to be Yeah, yeah. Moving forward. Um now,
3: the question is this: If, if Fox, and, and, and if since the ruling, the initial ruling went in Fox's favor, if they, you know, had right to lay claim to this film, then my question is: Why only eight percent or so? Like rights to me means ownership, which equals hundred percent, and I know that's kind of impractical when Warner Brothers did make the movie. But like, how do we reason that out?
4: Well, I I think they were given they were given a stake in the distribution. I don't think the judge ruled that they would have absolute distribution rights. And and the judge only ruled in their favor on like two counts of that lawsuit. I mean, if you remember back when, I forget what issue it was specifically, but when we talked about the lawsuit in depth and we talked about all five counts, um the judge only ruled on two and I think it was just um, you know, distribution of the motion picture and there was one other item. The judge didn't rule on a full accounting or um, you know any kind of copyright infringement, so that that part hadn't been settled, so I think to some degree Fox was trying they're trying to hedge their bets you know they they you know a, they knew that Warners if they're coming to the table, they're willing to give up you know to give something up, and you know Fox, you know probably rightfully so, probably thought okay a a, a sizable chunk of something is better than you know potentially a big chunk of nothing, you know, because if, if the thing got tabled, um, or scrapped and, and nothing happened with it, um, you know, potentially, you know, judge may award them 80%, but if it's 80% of, you know, 40 million and, you know, the accounting doesn't work out right, that, you know, warners can't even recoup their costs then Fox might end up with nothing. So, you know, I think, I think in order, you know, Fox kind of saw the light to say that this is a big deal. There's a lot of momentum. There's a lot riding on this deal. Um, you know, it's 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 better to settle out. And you know, they didn't they didn't kind of lay down for this one either. I mean Fox, um looking at Nikki Fink's uh, Deadline Hollywood Daily column um at deadlinehollywooddaily.com.
3: Oh sorry, I only watch entertainment tonight. <laughs> that Mary Hart. She's she's America's sweetheart. That's right. Know
2: um, about the insider, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> From what I understood, uh, Fox was looking to recoup some of their losses that they uh, incurred uh, trying to develop the property. Isn't that right, Wes?
4: Yeah, the, the latest update, like I was saying, from Nikki Fink, is that it's it, Fox is getting a bigger piece of this pie than they originally. You know, when the first reports came out, everything was real hush hush, and th- nobody's going to come out and I think say officially what it, you know. It's all it's all you know sealed s- settlement and all that kind of stuff. But you know, everything always leaks, um, so it looks like. Fox is going to get eight and a half percent of the gross. Um, they're getting a piece of everything moving forward, including sequels or spinoffs, and they're getting an upfront cash payment, um, which includes recoupment of their development costs, attorney fees, and whatever else. Um, so they're getting, you know, everything they put into it up to this point, and you know, sizable chunk. And uh, and it looks like Warner's is going to have to now they pay up. Fox is not going to be a distribution partner in the movie, so. You know, when you see the opening credits, you're not going to see Paramount, Fox, and Warner Brothers logo, which would be be a little weird. But, um, so it's just going to be a joint, you know, Paramount Warner Brothers avent- adventure ventures. Um, specifically, Paramount has distribution rights internationally, and and Warner's has it uh, domestically. Um, but it's the the interesting thing that one of the other things I read was is that it looks like uh, Lawrence Gordon is going to really um, really kind of take it on this one because warners is looking to sue him to basically recoup everything they're having to pay fox um because they you know ultimately they see it as being you know he was kind of the weak link in that chain um you know with him with him or his attorneys, and he's claiming you know that his inter- attorneys were basically negligent and they didn't notify him of you know all of the obligations and everything and it it's so funny if, you know, it's one of those deals where if, if Lawrence Gordon, you know, could go back in time and just pay Fox, whatever, whatever the uh, fee was, you know, for, for their turnaround agreement to just, to just buy him out, this wouldn't even be an issue. And, and, you know, now because, you know, because of that one mistake, um, you know, Warner Brothers is going to be in, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what they end up making off this deal. You know, the, the, the. Uh, the column I was reading even mentioned that you know Warner's is probably going to have to go to their stockholders because I'm sure somebody was doing projections out on, you know what, you know what the per, what the profitability and what the you know what the revenue was going to be based on this movie, especially after The Dark Knight, and now that they're having to give up all this cash and give up all these percentage points, that's going to seriously impact, um, you know what they're what they're going to make on this deal.
5: Yeah, eight percent of a lot of money is a lot of money.
4: Yeah, because it's it's pretty conceivable that between domestic that's the extent
5: foreign... of my math, by the way.
4: <laughs> 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 but you know, between domestic, foreign, and video, I mean, this thing will hit the five to probably seven hundred million mark. I would think easy.
2: So you guys are assuming it's going to be a hit. If it's a big flop, Fox gets nothing, right? Since it's a percentage.
4: No, it's well percentage of growth. So I mean, in my opinion. This thing will hit a hundred million even if it's even if it's even if it sucks I mean <laughs> um, I think there's so much hype. I think you know the initial weekend box offices are, or box office receipts are going to be so high just from everybody flocking it's going to take a while before poor word of mouth I think I think does it so so even even on a hundred million dollar gross or hundred and fifty million dollar gross domestic and probably equal that international you know you're still talking probably two hundred fifty million you know, worldwide box office. So, you know, if Fox gets eight and a half percent of that, you know, you know, still almost, you know, 17, 18 million bucks. Um, and then whatever. Yeah, that'll, video, that'll, right. that'll
3: take care of the attorney's fees. But yeah, um, yeah.
5: And let's like, not forget, you know, people have seen this movie. So yeah, there's definitely so. an insider buzz going on. You know, nobody's going into any of these negotiations blind. I mean, there's a pretty strong feeling that this is a huge hit in the making.
4: I I agree. I, I definitely agree. The interesting thing is that, you know, is the sequels and spinoffs. You know, they've talked about, you know, possibly doing some sort of sequel to this thing. And we know Hollywood. I mean, you you throw a big old pile of money at something, they're going to want to go back to the well. So, you know, maybe they do something like the video game and they do like a prequel, um, you know, where they focus on, you know, maybe Rorschach, Night Owl, you know, that kind of the whole um, uh, Crime Busters thing. Um, you know who, who knows. really love that, yeah yeah i'm sure it'll be it'll be awesome uh, i can't
5: wait to get a Rorschach uh toy in my daughter's happy meal
4: <laughs> <laughs>
5: maybe a dog head you know or uh <laughs> a bloody uh miniature shirt to put on a Barbie doll or something
2: It'll come with <laughs> an accessory of a uh, of of a dead dog in a crowbar yeah
4: <laughs> <laughs> and a bloody a bloody overcoat.
2: You're talking about all this uh, the settlement and everything. It reminds me of something a congressman said a few years ago. You know, million dollars here, a million dollars there. Eventually, you're talking about some real money.
4: Yeah, right. and like I said, the gross, you know, whatever they get on the gross is on top of their, you know, their their cash settlement. I mean, and who knows what that's going to be? But you know, if they're if they're going to get recoupment aside from the gross on their attorneys' fees and everything else, I mean, my you know, my guess is probably they're probably taking a lump pay of probably between ten and twenty five million. Plus the eight and a half. It, it'll be real interesting to see, you know, to, to see how it pans out and how much, you know, how much money it makes and you know what this mistake is going to end up costing, you know, Warner's. But like I said, ultimately they're looking to recoup all this all this cost from Larry Gordon, which they'll probably never get. But the good news is we will see Watchmen on 369. So, um, so I'm jazzed and excited about that. Um, I, I really didn't think um, that we wouldn't see it. You know, I really thought, you know, from back when that, um, you know, whatever it took, they were going to settle this thing out to make sure it happened.
2: I just wish the rumor had been true that they were going to trade their rights for Watchmen for the rights to the Batman TV show on DVD. But I guess that's just a rumor.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And who knows? I mean, you know, like I said, this is all closed-door stuff. Um, There's no telling if there's some kind of backdoor, you know, deal going on or, you know, who knows? Maybe at the last minute they may amend it or whatever if, if, if uh, if Warner's thinks that they're having to give up too much cash up front and they'd rather you know give up the license i i i did hear or look at somebody on the cgs boards that said something that it's not all within wb's court apparently there's there's somebody else that owns some sort of distribution rights to that batman tv show so it could be um, warner's isn't the only uh only player in that deal that would have to give up so so speaking of the movie um, one of the things that's that's come out since we talked last is the the japanese trailer i don't know if you guys have seen that yet
5: yes everything cool is in japan
4: i, I agree so true it, it it's funny because looking at the trailer it just has a totally different style you know the, the it than the american a the american watchman trailer but just even american trailers to begin with i mean that the whole style and the way it's done is just very um it it feels very japanese
2: yeah, it's it's very telling that the Japanese trailer has a lot of historical things in it and a lot more uh, story elements in it, as opposed to the American trailers, which have been very you know uh, special effects heavy and very action heavy. Uh, I mean, they're obviously you know targeting for the market that they, that they uh, that they know.
5: Yeah, it's I mean I think it's it's definitely a smart marketing strategy. I mean, Am- Americana is huge in Japan, <laughs> as strange as. That sound. So, I mean, I have my trailer queued up and the first thing you get is the Zapruder film with, you know, the Kennedy, uh, motorcade. motorcade, right. Right. And, you know, you have Jackie climbing over the back, uh, collecting brains or whatever she was doing. But, um, you know, we get that, we get Castro, we get Nixon. What else?
2: Kissinger. Well, I think you left out the right. comedian uh, being on the grassy knoll there. I mean, that's probably that, the, the, the main oh, crux man, of that whole. Thing. I didn't see that. Same. Yeah. You didn't they, they that? cut.
5: No, I'm yeah, pulling c- it back right now. Where is he?
2: Yeah, they cut yeah, to the show him, right after, right?
4: Yeah, they show him. He's kind of late. He's, he's standing up, and they show him with the rifle in his hand, and he's kind of, he kind of turns back towards the camera, looking very young.
5: No, wait a minute. It goes, it, it, the Kennedy thing runs twice, right? Because it runs right at the beginning. Right. And that's not... I think not,
4: it's the second time.
5: Yeah, it must be. Wow. Very cool. What else, what else do we get in here that um, we don't see in ours? All right, there it is.
2: Richard Nixon. Yeah, a lot of Nixon, a lot
4: of Kissinger. Um, You know, you can hear him talking in the background.
5: I thought it was cool that they showed um, Rorschach uh, typing in Ramses in the password, um, you know, Viet's computer. You know, again, that's something that's dead out of the book that, you know, we didn't see in our trailer, but it was nice to see it at all. So at least we know it's going to be there.
3: We get the death of uh, Hollis Mason with the knot-tops. So this yeah. is the first time we see like the uh, peripheral characters in the trailers, like the knot-tops, etc., um, with uh, the Hollis Mason
2: statue. Isn't this also the first time we see old Sally Jupiter as well? I think so,
4: other than maybe just a, a brief, brief flash. But yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: Oh, and you get the blood.
5: You get the actual blood splatter on the button to finish it off.
4: Yeah. And it's, you actually get... You know, the, uh, you know, sometimes with international versions of trailers, they're actually all in English. You know, it's, it's just, they just show different footage. And, right. and this one, the actual narration and stuff is all in Japanese with, you know, Japanese, you know, subtitles on it. Which I thought was interesting. So, yeah, just, you know, it, it's just kind of neat to be able to see, you know, more than what, you know, what we've seen in the past, you know, so far.
3: Do you think they focused on Nixon because of Nixon's relationship? With Asia, specifically with Vietnam,
4: could be, and it it may be that they're really wanting to make sure they uh, they frame it properly. You know, you know maybe foreign audiences aren't as in tune to Watchmen in general, and they may not realize that you know this is a more of a historical piece than a um, than a modern piece.
3: I guess the other big thing is we see an explosion that's blue in New York. Have we seen that before?
4: Yes,
2: I think that was in the Last American trailer. They showed the actual explosion. the thing we mentioned on the show before, okay. uh, as opposed to uh, what's in the book, which I won't mention. <laughs> uh, should we also talk about the Zack Snyder uh, video blog that just came out not too long ago? Yeah, Absolutely. I was going to talk about
4: yeah that too. If, if you guys, if if nobody's gone to the actual Watchmen movie site, um, you know, WatchmenMovie.WarnerBrothers.com. Um, the, the Zack Snyder video blog stuff and, and is is all have all been they've all been very, very good. A lot of behind the scenes stuff. Um they did one on the women the women of Watchmen, you know, quote unquote, where they talked the you know, the two silk specters where they talked to a lot of behind the scenes stuff, um and things like that. The last I think the video the last video blog where they had the conversation with Zack Snyder where he talks a lot of bit a lot about um about the the movie and, and, and the story and stuff.
2: I think in the latest video blog, he kind of tries to sell it to people who haven't read the book and don't know what Watchmen is. He tries to encapsulate and explain what's going on here and what the take is on the superheroes in in an actual world and how we've never seen the cultural changes that superheroes would bring about in, in the world if they actually existed which I thought was really cool, and shows Warner Brothers' overall marketing technique. I mean, if you get everybody into the theater who has read Watchmen and has bought the book, that's only going to be about a $50 million take. It really has to have a broader appeal. And that's why I agree with what Ken said in the last episode. Um, I really don't have any problems with um, them, them making small changes to make it more accessible and more palatable to the public at large, as long as the core of the story and the spirit of the story is kept intact.
5: You know that's a, that's a pretty good point. Actually, to uh, to kind of tie that into the Japanese trailer, it's probably a good idea to show those historical figures to bring those people in that maybe aren't as interested into the superhero stuff. That there's some other things going on here that they recognize.
4: Yeah, it kind of it kind of brings the 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 realism to it. And I think after you know, especially after things like the Dark Knight, where you know the, there was a real focus on grounding everything you know, to put these historical events into it and to make it more tied to history um, I think helps with that too. Uh, people can relate to it a little easier.
5: All right, guys, why don't we send this over to uh, part two of issue 11 and uh, let everybody catch up with Raph and all you fine guys. Sounds Sound good? good. All right. Yep. Sounds good. Enjoy.
4: So, know, 18, we finally kind of get, you know, the, the gist of, what exactly it is that you know what what's made Adrian the way he is you know what what is it that what sequence of events specifically that led him down to the path that he's on at this moment and you know we see on the third panel you know where he talks about it you know he says my first case made it seem possible to end injustice by demolishing crime syndicates, so you know at first he kind of went into it and thought okay i can I can end. You know the injustice of the world by by taking out the mob. Um, you know because if you know you you fight evil. You know you you go after evil. You know, and then he said this notion that criminals monopolize monopolize evil itself, de- uh, demolished by my second case. So his first you know again his first case he you know it goes after you know the street level. Um, his second case was you know obviously to, to look into the disappearance of hooded justice. And then he, he, you know, finds, you know, it says, an operative, government sources revealed, had tried unearthing him back then, reporting failure. Um, so, again, there was some some interference, you know, going on. And so he, you know, basically he got to the bottom of it and found that, you know, the the the, 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 the person that was tracking him was, um, was Edward Blake. And he thinks that, you know, what Blake did was just, say, oh, couldn't find him, couldn't get him, you know, couldn't do whatever. That was his official report, when in reality, he's the one that, that did in hooded justice. And then his, his comment, you know, about Blake was, as intelligent men facing lunatic times, we were very alike, despising each other instantly. So, you know, right away, these two didn't like each other, um, and, it, and it didn't get any better from there.
2: Blake has such a, a profound effect on Veet, though, that, again, that meeting of the Crimebusters—that's you can see it in his face. That's where it clicks. That what he's doing is just you know ineffectively stunning the tide with a bucket, whereas he has to you know really um, create a sea change.
4: I would say that you know the comedian probably has more influence on you know Vito's you know mission as he sees it than even than even Dr. Manhattan does. You know, I think he saw you know as we'll see next. You know what, what he, he says. We next met in 1960. He said I avoided him, more fascinated by John. He um, knows how. And we'll notice this too. He never. He doesn't refer to Doctor Manhattan as Doctor Manhattan. He always calls him John.
0: Well, I think what's interesting about the whole connection between the comedian and uh, Ozymandias is that he did say that they were both uh, intelligent men and that they're very alike. But they're all. They're both their the Their ends aren 't the same their end goals aren 't the same. The comedian is looking out for himself he 's operating within the government and doing things of an uh, unsavory nature, whereas uh Ozymandias is trying to solve evil and destroy it and uh trying to systematically take it out but obviously when, like,
2: i think, I think maybe Blake started out with that same dream, but what he saw and what he had to do in places like vietnam and with hood justice and everything else probably you know sent him on the you know, trajectory that he was on
0: right and he also considered him uh i mean well when, when we get to it later he does he does explain the whole uh, occurrence with uh with uh the comedian later on with the murder hold the whole murder uh, we'll see that he sort of sees the joke and uh, that bites um pulling on everyone
3: remember how Rorschach got beat up when he was a kid and that was like his trigger moment, that trapdoor moment that caused him to go off on this very, very cold tangent of his life. The beginnings, if you want to say, of Rorschach. But Adrian gets beat up by the comedian. And I almost want to say that he just wants to get revenge on the bully. And I almost, I wonder like, I, I know the comedian stumbled upon the island, but I'm wondering, like, what came first, Veidt's plan or fitting the comedian, killing the comedian into Veidt's plan? That's a good question.
0: Well, I mean, according to what happens here, I mean, it's implied that uh, Blake kills uh, the Hood of Justice, and that he's also involved in the JFK, JFK assassination. And when when uh, Vite reads the speech that JFK had. We in this country, in this generation, are by destiny rather than choice the watchmen on the world walls of world freedom. You see that he later on says that he... Um, sort of, He sort of feels like he... That he laments JFK's loss. That he was taken away by the... By the... Uh, the walls of world tyr- tyranny had their crosshairs uh, on him. And who held the trigger but uh, the comedian, Edward Blake. So he sort of sees that what Blake's become is what he wants to destroy. So I I think it's more, I mean, it's not, it's not Blake himself. It's what he represents, what he does. It's, it's more than the person. It's, it's what he's doing, what he represents, who he represents, and the the greater evil of humanity, uh, with, uh, with what they do things with which, how they do things.
4: Well, I think, and you know, it's interesting too, where, you know, you, especially Adam, what you were mentioning about you know his his revenge against the bully. You know, at on the on the uh, seventh panel on page eighteen, he says when next again we, when next met in nineteen sixty, uh, I avoided him more fascinated by John. But then in the next panel, he says still I observed Blake over the years. You know, know what he was in Dallas minding Nixon the day Kennedy died. Nobody's sure why Nixon was there. So you know he you know one panel he says oh I avoided him. It, it, again, he avoided him physically. You know. Again, they, the next time they met, you know, in person, he stayed out of his way, but he still kept tabs on him. You know, over the, over the time. So, you know, in one minute he's dismissing him, and then the next minute he's he's proven that he still has this obsession with with, with him.
3: Isn't there a clip on the new Watchmen trailer with um, the comedian on the grassy knoll in Dallas, or am I making this up?
4: No, you might you might be right.
3: He's like on bended knee,
4: and, and he bent- has a, a rifle. Yeah, yeah. I think that might be in you know part of the credit sequence because if I remember it right, if I think of the the scene you're talking about, it's kind of the, the colors kind of washed out. It's not real bright, you know. Uh, I'm 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 not sure.
3: Speaking of color bright washes, is- look at uh, Adrian's hair on eighteen and nineteen in the flashbacks, and his costume. Are these um, nuts are these colors just a little bit muted because it is a flashback, or did he not like have his complete rise of in, uh, to brilliance just yet as far as wealth and power go? Or are these colors just muted because of it's a flashback sequence?:
4: Could very well be you know for both, because we've seen other flashback sequences to this advance. Here to these events, especially the Crimebusters meeting, and he hasn't appeared that way. Okay. But even you know, you look at the other characters too. I mean, even Blake on the on the middle panel. I mean, he's even washed out, you know, as well.
3: Panel eight on page eighteen. That's 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 the funniest panel in the whole book.
4: <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's it's again, you know, you can almost see the look on Rorschach's face without seeing his face. It's that you know that pattern says it all. And then again, you know, with you know, what we've had over the last, you know, pre the pre uh this page and the next page again, we get the alternating panel that we've seen so much in how, you know, Gibbons tells a story where, you know, one panel is is the present and the next panel is the past and you know, they alternate and so we'll see that on on eighteen as well as nineteen. I just love that style. So on nineteen we see, you know, obviously Norschak is not quite finished yet and tries to make another attempt on um on adrian and he just kind of effortlessly you know puts that metal plate you know behind him to to, to stop rorschach and again beats just kind of continuing telling his you know his story about how you know how how again the symptoms just you know i fought only the symptoms leaving the disease on you know itself unchecked and he's you know telling all this in the middle of scuffling with with rorschach which is which is funny and then we get to the moment where you know, he finally realized what must be done is that meet the, the Crimebusters meeting um, in 1966, you know, where where we've seen you know a couple times earlier where Blake you know burns up the the list that they were going over. He said, "I swore to deny his kind their last black laugh at Earth's expense," so that you know. And again, we saw it earlier. Um, I forget which issue it was where he's where where we see that panel of Adrian just staring at the the smoldering um remains of that of that list that you know that was posted to that bulletin board. Just you know, just totally focused on it. Like the, the gears and the wheels were turning. And then his 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 at the end of nineteen where he says, I also swore that no next I met Blake or any other foe, though perhaps not on my territory, it would be cert- it would certainly be on my terms. And you know, obviously we've seen that play out completely with the whole um you know, costume, you know, masked killer Uh, thing going on then we move on to 20 and uh we see that uh that malcolm the the psychiatrist has met up you know him and his wife have met up and then in the background we have joey and his ex fighting um and you know it's interesting here how the you know the wife you, you could tell they're you know again we saw in the in the whole origin of rorschach the interaction between the you know Malcolm and his wife, and and how it you know how his interaction with Rorschach changed him. And at first, it was all about you know fame and fortune, and you know in the end, you know Rorschach really changed him, and he started to see the world a little different, and you know I think became a lot more compassionate in the end. And you know his so in his wife's eyes, I think he changed as a person, um, and it wasn't something that she liked. You know she, I, I take it as she still. Super, you know, kind of a superficial person and Malcolm has finally kind of gotten, you know, his purpose in, in life. And then we see it play out right here where Joey and her ex are getting into this physical altercation and, you know, Malcolm as the, as the doctor and the healer feels like it's his responsibility to go to help and, and, and step in the middle of it. And as, you know, his wife basically says, you know, if, if you, if you walk away from me, don't, you know, I'm not coming back. You know, I'm not going to be here when, when you get back. And, Malcolm says, you know, he says, Gloria, I'm sorry, it's the world. I can't run from it. So he, he runs, you know, again, he's running to it. And then we get the, the very last page of the Black Freighter and the very last um, panel on page 20.
0: What's interesting is that instead of being in two pieces, that book knots is now in, like, 50 pieces, kind of showing how uh, Veet's plan is uh, more multifaceted and multi-layered than... Uh, than Alexander's idea of just simply cutting the knot with his sword, For just how pissed off Joey is at his at her ex girlfriend.
4: Yeah. So Then we cut back to Karnak, and and Adrian's laying out even in more detail, you know what's you know what his plan is and what's going on, and he's talking about um, you know the struggle between the U.S. and Russia and the whole nuclear you know pending apocalypse and the escalation in the arms race. It, it, what I thought was interesting about this whole exchange was, you know, he's basically played out in his head how this is all going to end. You know, he doesn't see there's any way possible that with two, you know, these two superpowers that that are, that are have this escalation in this arms race and, and you know, and uh, upping and upping and upping the nuclear arsenal and the fact that, you know, Dr. Manhattan is out of the picture, that there's no there's no resolution to this problem other than nuclear war that that you know that that ultimately that's what's got to happen and that's kind of his his catalyst for stepping in is to is is to do something to get both sides to realize that there's you know bigger problems in the world than what's going on um and, and it's funny that you know in in the in the real world you know that that didn't happen you know yes the you know, the U.S. and Russia, you know, increased their nuclear stockpiles and the Cold War kind of hit its high point, but, you know, ultimately it, it kind of fizzled. Um, so, you know, smart as he thinks he is and as smart as he is, he's, you know, you know ultimately, you know, if, if things had played out, he'd have been, you know, proven wrong, at least, you know, knowing what we know today in, in our world as an example.
0: What I think is funny is how dogged uh, Rorschach seems to be. He's Even in the last three panels, he's trying to come up against Veet, and he's only stopped by Night Owl.
1: So he stopped by Night Owl because he knows Bubastus is on his way in the, to take him out. Mm-hmm. He's like looking at like, no, wait, don't. Yeah, no, don't do it. <laughs> don't.
3: So much for minding your surroundings, though. Rorschach, if, if he was thinking clearly, he would have totally seen that. Oh, you're right. He's, he's not in his right mind. He's reaction, reaction, reaction right now. He's not. He's. You know. What was that? Wasn't that from Rachel go and Batman Against Minor Surroundings? Yeah, it was. You know. He's getting sloppy.
0: He's pretty much enraged that uh, at and after beating him down, you know, twice there. I think. Yeah. I mean. You know. Warshak doesn't get beat very often by one person, and to get beaten by Ozimanius so easily uh, must be really grinding his gears.
4: Then you know, on twenty two, Adrian continues on his his uh his monologue here, and talks about, um, it's kind of interesting, he talks about arms expenditures, you know, boosting lending rates, and he talks about, you know, basically the the world was spending so much money on on the arms race and and weapons that there was no money left, um, you know, to help its poor and, you know, for social, you know, programs, that basically the people suffered, you know, because of this escalating, um, you know, escalating problem, and that, you know, is it really you know, smart to, you know, punish the person that, you know, is stealing to feed their family and not the situation, you know, that created the person to have to steal in the first place. And, you know, again, it's that whole stepping back where he kind of took a look at things from a higher level, you know, and realized that, you know, the problem's not at the at the bottom. The problem is at the top, and it's the only way it's going to change.
1: Looking at the artifacts that Adrian's collected in the fourth panel there, and I can see the, uh, what I don't, I can only imagine is reproduction. I can't imagine it's surviving the actual cart from uh, from the Gordian knot, that's that's the same one that's in, that's in the painting that we've seen. Yeah,
0: it just looks like for for all of his all uh, of Adrian's intelligence and and logic, he's driven by that fear of being. I mean, he says that he's afraid of civilization and humanity being forgotten, but really, if if a nuclear holocaust happened, he would be erased as well, and he would be forgotten also. All of his accomplishments, all of his, all of his achievements would also be dust. So, I, I'm, I mean, there, he's trying to make it sound like there's a greater good. But, I mean, given his ego, there's got, part of him has to be thinking, I need to save myself also.
3: Don't you think he kind yeah. of suffers from this, this whole plan? This whole plan is a result of the same thing that Dr. Manhattan is susceptible or guilty or whatever else to. He is beyond humankind. Therefore, he has nothing to do. He is bored. This is a problem, solution, plan, everything that he created for himself because he can't relate to people because there's nothing else for him to do. This is the same reason Dr. Manhattan tinkers in his lab and tries to find, what was it, gluinos, and pays no attention to Lori. This is the same reason why Adrian's doing this, because... He suffers from, what do you want to call this, like, <laughs> uh, social anxiety disorder for geniuses? That mm-hmm. they're so far removed from the normal, what did he say, nothing particularly, extra. Uh, what was it, about his parents? Like, nothing, you know, <laughs> extraordinary. no big red flag. Yeah, nothing extraordinary about his parents. Like, uh, you know, I don't think that, you know, selfishness and pride is exactly, you know, something you can look up in the DSM, but... They seem to have every psychosis that it could possibly bring
1: on these two. So, so if, uh, if, if John is, is near godhood in, in ability, does, does uh, Adrian simply have a god complex and he's trying to realize it through his, his uh, maneuverings? That's what I'm saying. I think
3: he would have to be. I mean, you want to see how this is telegraphed? Look on page 22 in the fourth panel. Do you see how he has the uh, armor in the case? It's a man who has the arms of a squid.
4: Well look at and even what he says on, on that same panel. He says, My plan required preparation for the day when I'd assume the aspect of kingly Ramses leaving Alexander the adventurer and his trappings to get to dust. So again he's referring, you know, to himself as as Ramses the Pharaoh, you know, who's the you know basically the, the, the god on earth, you know, as Pharaoh, as opposed to, you know, he he doesn't see Alexander as the conqueror um, and the leader anymore. He just sees him as simply an adventurer. You know, somebody that just kind of went from place to place to place.
0: Well, it also earlier in the issue, he called him the uh, the. Uh, what he did was he unlocked the Age of Pharaohs for everyone again. He he said Alexander opened up the Age of Pharaohs for humanity. And what did Alexander do? He brought organization and libraries to the to civilized world. And so what he did. So Alexander really wasn't wasn't this great. Kind great leader he, all he did was um, open up the world to intelligence and so the organization of libraries and all that came to be more more populous because of him and so now adrian can be a pharaoh now because of the accomplishments of alexander but alexander's below the pharaoh which is him which is him i guess I to
3: think. go off of that like i started rereading alan moore's from hell over the weekend and it's the same token raft you know Jack the Ripper started uh the twentieth century you know yeah. with all of, with all of his you know murders and everything along those lines and in this case, it's like i i and this is you know some fearful symmetry here, but Morris focusing on you know these pivotal figures that affect direct the course of humanity in a lot of cases. With you know the character of the Doctor in From Hell, and in this case with Adrian, uh, he doesn't, yeah. you know, as much as we like to think that, well, you know, the cops are here for the ground view, uh, the, the street level view, like uh, Turpin is for Final Crisis and all this other stuff. Like, this isn't just, and, and here's the turn here. This is the turn. This isn't just you know street level. What's the haps? What's going on? This is earth changing. That's that realization that we have in this issue still, I think, holds up and still reverberates how many years after publication. Literally, it's all on the line.
4: Yeah. On 23, it's interesting. We get, again, we get a little more hint of this whole nonlinear, told from a different perspective. On On the second panel, it's it's Bernard and Bernie, you know, or he's or Bernie, Bernard's trying to talk to Bernie. And in the background, we see Joey and her ex, and, and they're standing still. But if we, if we go back to page 20, we clearly see from the perspective of Malcolm and his wife that, that she's been pushed to the ground. So again, we're seeing these same events just, you know, rewound, you know, maybe a minute or two in time, and getting it from a different perspective, this time being Bernie and Bernard instead of Malcolm and his wife. You
3: realize uh, that Rorschach turned Dr. Malcolm Long into a hero? Like normally, if, if Doctor Long didn't meet Rorschach, he would not have intervened. But yep. since you know he gazes back at the abyss, right? He once he's moved to intervention, so something like Kitty uh, Kitty Genovese doesn't happen again. So is yep. that is that some kind of overriding thing that Rorschach was right in some ways? Well, I'm sure we'll talk about this more on twelve. But he changed him. He moved him to excuse me he moved him beyond uh, apathy to be active about it, but then that goes against uh, Adrian's plan quit fighting the symptoms, fight the disease, fight evil, like
4: fight the idea of evil, don't fight evil yeah I mean there's a good chance he wouldn't even been there in the first place because if him and his wife weren't kind of split you know he wouldn't he, you know she wouldn't have theoretically been looking for him to even be there to 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 witness it. They'll be off at some dinner party or, you know, fancy restaurant or something. But I, I love on, and I'm getting your guys' opinion too, on 23, we're on the third panel, and, you know, Bernard is kind of making the point of, you know, that, you know, what's wrong with the world is people, you know, people don't connect to each other. It's, you know, everybody just kind of goes in their own way. Nobody, you know, nobody makes a point of, of getting close to each other. Um, and, and and he says, you know, he basically says to, 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 you know, to Bernie, you know, you've been coming here for weeks reading that, you know, book over and over again. And, and you know, we basically haven't said two words to each other. And I love Bernie's responses because they don't make sense, man. That's why I got to read them over. Do you think that's a subtle kind of, you know, like Moore is kind of poking fun at himself in a way? You know, because how many times do you have to read Watchmen really to kind of get the full impact? I mean, at least twice. You know, and again, here we have this guy that's sitting there reading this, you know, comic book about pirates. And, you know, there's this whole, you know, journey and, you know, and story and all this, you know, imagery and all this kind of stuff that you can kind of tell us in the book.
0: Well, also, I mean, what, what about the Black Freighter itself? What happens in it? A man uh, tries to go home and save his, save his family and his town from these pirates and ends up destroying his life and going absolutely insane. I mean, is it – is that easy – that, I mean, we all understand that because we, we just, we just seen it, we've just seen it, but is that really that easy to understand for everyone? I mean, if you were just to, to watch someone completely fall apart in front of you, I mean, would you understand that completely?
3: I know it's a comic, but I mean, Black Freighter certainly isn't a kid's comic. I mean, in, yeah. the, in the sense of now, you know, and I know this is a different timeline, history, everything else, but I mean, Bernie's a little kid. You know, he's, what, 13, 14? That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a big gulp for a kid to read. I mean, I teach 13-year-olds. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's a lot. Hey, They're yeah. smoking, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, when I was 13, I started with Grant Morrison. But, of course, I'm an <laughs> Ozymandias-level Ozzy genius. So, oh,
3: you know. <laughs> you, I'll, I'll dare you.
0: So you know, I, it's okay for me to have read sophisticated things when I was twelve. But you know, every all these lay kids, they can't understand these things. I am above everything.
3: Oh, here it comes—the real rascal. <laughs> you know what? As 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 a reader, when as a reader, when you're at that adolescent stage, that's that's your point where you go from chapter books to novels. When your brain is ready, developmentally, for more challenging pieces. It's that, just that, you know, Bernie's just, I mean, the, the kid, I mean, he doesn't say word one. And, you know, really, he, he, is, he matters not in the grand scheme of, of the book. He's just, he's just a kid reading
0: a book. Yeah, he's our lens. But, if, you know, all, he's not even our lens. All he is is he's the guy holding the book that we're reading. We don't get a reaction from him or anything. He's just right. holding the book. We see his hand maybe for a little bit, and then we go straight into the panel.
3: Yeah, he's pretty persona non grata. I mean, there's nearly nothing there. And, you know, as far as Bernard goes, I mean, <laughs> here's what's wrong with people. Well, you haven't let people have a chance to talk. I mean, dare I say that Bernard and Adrian are close too? This is what's wrong with the world? You know, Bernard's been yapping since, what, issue three or four with all this stuff? If anyone's on a soapbox, I mean, it's I know Adrian, this issue is, but if you look at Watchmen as a whole... I mean, I know Bernard's, like we said, the street level and all that stuff. But, I mean, (laughs) that's about as much forceful opinion as any other in this whole book.
0: Yeah, what's interesting is that, I mean, Adrian decides to be completely cold and objective. He pushes himself away from humanity and tries to understand what's wrong. And then Bernard here is always surrounded by humanity. And constantly bombarded by it, but yet he still met man- They both still manage to come to a similar conclusion, or and they, or at least they they are so, I like their resolve is so like stone cold steel clad, you know that they have to do what they do. It's just interesting, like the well, for Bernard he he feels he needs to constantly talk about what's wrong with everyone because he sees it, he knows what it's like. He sees all kinds of people around, and then Adrian. You know, he, he, he does not have any human connection. He looks at things objectively, logically, and he, he sees that, you know, he there's something wrong. It, it's interesting that they're both convinced that they're right about what's wrong, and yet, you know, they, they're missing that other component, which is essentially each other. I mean, you, you've got one, you know, you, you can't just have, be surrounded by people and understand what's going on, and you can't look at everything objectively and see what's going on and what's wrong. You have to sort of do both.
3: You can't look at the world through a lens either. I mean, Bernard's trying to, you know, uh, make predictions and figure out how the world's going based off of uh, newspaper headlines and magazine headlines, and he's right. And Adrian's doing the same thing last issue with a bunch of, te- uh, of uh, a bunch of television screen, and he's right too. But for as removed as the two of them are, for as much talking at people as the two of them do, still, I mean, we don't find an amicable solution to what's wrong. And actually, Rorschach does the same thing in his journal, too.
0: Well, I mean, I guess the ultimate truth is there is no – if there was a right answer and we could come, come to it, you know, we wouldn't have the problems we did.
3: I mean, thought, well, see, that's why I wanted to bring a genius-level intellect in on the show, Raph.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, well, there you go. I mean, it, sometimes it takes – you know the smartest person has to come with the simplest answer. You know? Well, let cut I, the
3: knot. That's, that, that's, <laughs> that, well, you can't say that, though, because that's Adrian's answer. Let's just cut the knot in half.
0: Well, I guess the the answer is, you know, accept the Knot for what it is and just, you know, work around the Knot. Then that's Rorschach's end of things. Well, Well, isn't Rorschach more of let's beat the Knot into submission until it stops Knotting? Well, now that you made that up, yeah, but
3: <laughs> but otherwise, I mean it's work around it, work within the parameters, but Rorschach's also when everyone you know looks up and asks for help, he'll say no, so where does he fit into this i he's at the other end of Adrian, but where he is is still kind of
0: you know muddled yeah there i mean he's not exactly there's no well i mean you know there's no clear mark for him because he he's so i mean his his background is so screwed up and and his his way his views on life are all kind of screwed up by it it's just how do you how do you i mean he's not and obviously none of with the exception of maybe maybe bernard none neither one of them are um, neither adrian or rorschach are normal people so who are they to talk about normal society because they're not really an active part of it they can't be one's too smart and one of them's too crazy but how can you tell which is which that's true. That, yeah. I mean, well, Dan know. asked.
3: That's what Dan asked when they were outside of Karnak.
0: Yeah. How do you? So tell what's
3: them? the So is Adrian the is Adrian the hero of the book, or is Rorschach the hero of the book? Because is, whichever one you answer, the other one's the villain.
4: I think it, it becomes a, in my mind at least a little more clear after twelve. I think after twelve. You know, given given what happens and the way things end, and the, kind of the stance Rorschach takes, I think that's a little, in my mind at least, it's a little bit easier answer to question to answer. But I think I'll I'll hold my my full response until after until twelve.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm in, I, I don't know if you guys want me back for twelve, so I'll just say it here. I mean, it's it's the idea of sacrificing people for the greater good and unifying everyone, or the idea that the absolute truth is the best way to live life. You everyone needs to know the absolute truth at all times. Everyone needs to be honest. Everything has to be out in the open. That's I mean that's how Rorschach does things. He 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 seeks the truth whereas Adrian is sort of like, you know, lives have to be lost in order for for it to be peace. So it's I mean which one do you want to believe in? I guess that that the other sort of, you know, make you choose which one is what which one you follow or believe in. So, I
4: guess Moving back to to the book on page 24, we start to get again Adrian giving us more and more details about how just how involved and how in depth this plot is and has been. And he talks about, you know, John being too powerful and unpredictable, tying in the cancer of Weaver, um, Slater, and Moloch. And he says later unwittingly exposed to radiation. They were closely observed, cultivated as weapons against John. So again, he's he's taking you know, looking at this from all angles and taking every you know, every you know, calculating everything to come into play. You know, so you know you know, he knew he had to get doctor you know, Doctor Manhattan out of the out of the picture. And again, he calls him John, not Doctor Manhattan. He still he he refers to him always as John.
3: Yeah, I think he definitely sees John as a peer. As more of, like I well like I was saying earlier about these two, I think the two are closer than they think, and I think Adrian is kind of making that extra effort instead of calling him Doctor Manhattan, he's saying he's calling him John as though I mean the supposition that they are friends, right? Versus Rorschach being called Walter or you know Night Owl being called
1: Dan. Yeah, certainly as you said uh, on the same level where it's it's acceptable or or worthy of. Being on that first name basis, as you said, a peer.
4: But then he starts, you know, again he starts talking about, you know, new technology, researching genetics, you know, creating blue um, teleportation, um, and he, and and this is where you know I, I kind of mentioned earlier. It says, since John proved teleportation possible, why develop electric cars? My researchers were were uh, my researches were vital. Like my island secretly purchased in 1970. So again, now we've you know tied the island into into his plan. Um, the only re- hero retaining sympathy, I quit a few years before the Act, concentrating on my plan. So again, he, it's almost like he saw the Kinac coming too, and you know he he was the only you know publicly acceptable hero, and he decided to quit you know before before he became unacceptable, or you know before he had to kind of hang it up. He, he's, he he went. He's, the safe,
3: he's the safest out of all of them don't you think Russ he's like yeah. the safest in appearance I mean he did the uh, it, the charity drive or telethon or whatever on, on television the other night but how ironic is it that the most accepted is the one that well betrays them the, the, the most no the, the worst no, no one else has clapped for any hero in this book except for Adrian he's the only one that people clapped for
4: yeah, at least now I think in the beginning, you know, it would have been him and John, or you know, Doctor Manhattan, just you know, the whole ending the war and kind of being that that deterrent. Um, but I think to some degree that you know he he also frightened them. And, but yeah, I think you're right. I think Adrian, you know, you know, was able to kind of satisfy the masses on on both ends, and then he you know he. <laughs> He said, that's what upset the comedian. When my, when awareness of my scheme crashed in upon him, professional jealousy. So again, he, you know, he takes it as, you know, what really got the, the comedian to go off the deep end was, you know, was that he was jealous of, of Adrian. And then he, you know, he tried to justify his murder by saying, well, it was just, you know, accident, you know, because he accidentally became involved in this whole plan. That's why he had to die. I would I would say that he you know that Adrian had the intention of killing him all along. I mean, accidental or not, I think it just accelerated his plan. And then, you know, the fact that he, um, you know, passed across you know the island and 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 became involved with it and told Moloch that that's you know that's what also caused Moloch to get kind of sucked into it and and his demise as well. And then we find out you know that teleportation. You know, basically, the, the, the only way teleportation was able to work, that science was able to do it, but, you know, Don's mind, um, you know, was able to kind of be the, the, the piece the, the piece of the missing puzzle on that. You know, yeah, you can do, you know, you can teleport things, but, um, you know, but, but the shock upon them transferring and materializing into space caused, caused them to explode. And, of course, that wasn't, you know, what Blake found on the island. You know, teleportation was not what he saw um you know, that 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 disturbed him.
3: I wonder if the squid throws
4: up like Lori each time it teleports. It it does worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> and then again, you know, he says you know, he, he couldn't let the comedian expose his plan preventing humanity's salvation. So again, it's you know, this God complex. He is convinced that this plan is what's gonna save um the human race. And that it's his you know, his plan is gonna you know is gonna save the human race. So ultimately, what do you? I mean, in, in the, his observation of, of of what kind of kind of made Blake crack, you know, was that you know the world was going to have to basically, you know, Adrian's plan was that everybody would have to come together and sing Kumbaya, you know, because of the greater threat out there, um, and then that's what what really set the comedian off. I mean. the... the do you guys think that's true? I mean, do you think Adrian's assessment is, is really what... Because, I mean, it seems like Blake really went off the deep end with what he saw. But right, because of, seem
3: that, cause of with, with what he said to Moloch, and you're a
4: part of it, I'm a part of it, you just don't know it. Yeah, I mean, is it is it the fact that in the end, you know, everybody's just a pawn? And that, you know, he's... You know, the comedian... I guess his his philosophy and what he was trained was: you're an agent of the government, and it's your job to to maintain law and order, and it's your job to keep, you know, basically keep the peace through deterrence and through through you know active deterrence and war, and you know he comes across this, across a situation where somebody can come up with something so heinous and and a plot so intricate that. Um, that it would force the government to, you know, all governments to kind of, you know, basically lay down their arms and and work together and get along and that, you know, guys like him would be useless.
0: That could be part of it. But also, I mean, since you also since we also brought up the whole thing about uh, Adrian possibly being a little threatened by the comedian, it could also just be that that's what he sees. But and really, the comedian is just horrified at the scale of what he's trying to do i mean because the comedian has had to kill people in his time but never to the extent that adrian is proposing with his plan
3: he killed his own kid when uh in vietnam
0: yeah but he didn't have an an emotional attachment to that kid or the woman i don't think i mean it's not the same
3: boy he's been detached he's been detached up until he confronted lori a couple issues back in, in the flashback what do you mean
0: well, I mean, I mean well, what, what triggered that, that attempt to... Uh, okay, no, I'm, I'm getting my timelines confused then. Um, but I mean, I mean, I guess the whole point is like, I mean, yeah, killing, killing a kid who, who someone says is yours is one thing, but then killing like, you know, a few million people is a completely other thing.
3: I think, well, see, I don't agree with that. I think like okay. the murder of one individual is a lot more personal than 19 million. Like when the tsunami hit... Like, how many people were affected? But, like, it's like, well, that happened. But then you watch on the news because it's more detailed, it's more personal about how something happened, you know, on the 11 o'clock news. I
1: think... <laughs> yeah, that's for you, but I think I think for the comedian, it's always been, like, he will kill one person if it's going to save, you know, a million. He, he he looks at it completely flipped from the way you're looking at it. So, you know, to, to com- basically commit, you know, mass murder on such an, an impersonal level, is what offended and, and uh, he just couldn't get his head around.
3: Well, there's that. Plus, I mean, what is, what's the Punisher's worst nightmare? What's the comedian's worst nightmare? That there will be no more wars to fight.
4: And that's what Adrian's offering with this plan. That's sure. true, yeah. yeah that's just an, an interesting premise that, you know, ultimately it's that simple. That really what made the comedian so frightened you know, in the end, I mean, he broke down, you know, he went to see Moloch, and he literally broke down and cried and was, you know, basically at the end of this rope about a world in which, you know, there's no more brutality and that guys like him are no longer needed. That, you know, that it's possible, almost like it's possible for the world to be at peace, and that he just can't, he just can't understand, like, his brain can't wrap around that. He's been and that they all brutal. Be- Right, and they can all be so manipulated to make it happen. You know, it's not—it's not just happened out of natural occurrence. It's happening based on manipulation. Isn't I don't know. Just kind of an interesting, an interesting turn of events. Moving on to twenty six, he kind of just recounts, you know, uh, you know, again the, the the events, you know, basically at the at the start of the book, you know, after after killing Blake, um, getting rid of John. And you know Rorschach going on this whole mass killer thing, having to kind of fabricate the his assassination and all that you know going on. And it's interesting we get in you know through the through the whole telling of all this, we pretty much get reproductions of the panels that we saw in issue one of you know somebody busting into the comedian, you know you know throwing them around, beating them up, and then tossing them out the window. But the one panel we get that's different is the look from looking at you know the at at uh at Adrian's you know face as he you know ha- hoists the comedian up over his head and throws him out the window and that's kind of the i guess the missing piece of issue 1 that we never saw is you know saw the you know the, the person's face that did that to him and you know now it all comes you know basically we get we get that sequence reproduced with all the pieces there there's one of the, one of the other things that kind of jumped out at me on on page 26 on the fourth panel and he talks about you know you know he Rorschach says tele he said said teleportation unworkable and then you know adrian 's response just a so matter of fact it works fine, assuming you want things to arrive or explode on arrival he says, teleported to new york my creature 's death would trigger mechanisms within its massive brain cloned from a human sensitive so I took that as as you know somebody that 's psychic or um, you know again one of the i 'm assuming one of the one of the missing scientists or one of the missing, you know, one of the people that were on the island that came up with this thing, um, altogether that he was able to manipulate them genetically. So again, you know, a little bit of the whole, you know, in this world, there really aren't any superheroes. I mean, John is the only true, you know, really the true superhero. Um, but yet, you know, they kind of introduced this, you know, this, and I guess to some extent, depending on what you believe or don't believe in, in our world that, you know, people can have, um, you know, psychic abilities, or you know, can sense those kind of things, or be sensitive to to, to things like that. But it's yes, kind of, Pete. Yeah, exactly. So he kind of brought that into it as as the trigger um, to this to this creature that he's he's about to unleash. And then, then of course, we get the the biggest reveal, probably in the entire book that that literally leaves them speech speechless. Is you know. Um, when were you planning to do it? And he goes, do it. He goes, Dan, I'm not a Republic serial villain. Do you seriously think I'd explain my master stroke? If there remained the slightest chance of you affecting its outcome, I did it 35 minutes ago. And you could tell the two of them just standing there in utter silence, realizing that, you know, basically they've let him go on. There's nothing they could have done to stop this, that it, it, it was done before they got there. And I think that's, to me, this is you know again. They always talk about the you know the big revelations of this book, and you know of course that's the you know probably the the biggest one is the fact that you got to hear the villain iron out his entire plan, and you know in typical James Bond you know fashion, and you know he they, you know Alan Moore throws the greatest tw- twist probably of the whole book is you know no stupid you know this isn't what I'm going to do this is this is what I've already done you know you, you're too late. Right. I'm going to tell you my whole plan because it doesn't really matter if I tell you or not.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it's the most logical... It's every it's everything every supervillain should have ever done. You know, just do it and go, oh, by the way, I did it. Because, you know, how many times have we seen the, you know, I'm going to do this right now and, and the hero saves the day. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really... It's actually kind of refreshing because, you know, because it, it needs... I mean, how many times in in past comics and movies have you seen that and just no res- The hero always saves the day. It 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 had the bad guy's got to win once. Yeah, this, well, it, it, well, so then you wait. So then you think Adrian's the bad guy? Well, I mean in in the in the sense that you know it, the it's guy who the, blew
1: up half of New York City probably yeah, the bad it, guy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it, also in the sense that you know the, the whole thing about uh, you know the the. Per- Explain the plot and, you know, what what they're going to do. I mean, it, it just never – all those times I watched when I was a kid, it was just like, okay, why don't you just do it already? Don't tell him. Just do it. I mean, not that I was sympathetic towards the villain, but it's – or the hero. I mean, however you want to look at it, it's just – it seems silly to tell someone what you're going to do in detail and then do it knowing that they could probably stop you.
1: So do you it expect me to talk? To <laughs>
0: yeah, no, Mister. Watch, it's <laughs> meant to die. But you see, but Raph, you're having the
3: opposite reaction that you're supposed to with drama. and literature, you're supposed to have a catharsis, this kind of like emotional release based off of what should happen, not what should not happen, though. I think it's you, just because you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah, you're, 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 you want the wrong thing to happen, but I, compl- I total- I'm totally with you on that, though. I'm just trying to explain what we're thinking, though.
0: I, I I think it's cuz I've counter programmed myself because I've cuz you know I've I've seen what's supposed to happen what we want to happen so many times that now I'm at the point where you know I I can look at things the other way because I'm an obvious super
1: genius. <laughs> you know I've got a gun right here we can just shoot him.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it, it's funny too cuz I think it 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 shows again a more mature audience you know you're not you know it's it's almost like when when you see those movies you know whether they're bond movies or like they're mentioning the old republic serials where you know the villain would you know twist twirl his fashion and, and give the plan it's like you're almost you're almost insulting the the audience you know because it's like it's so moronic you know in in reality who would ever do something that that's stupid you know nobody is gonna you know, give you the opportunity in real life to foil the plan. They're going to Every, you know, every
1: supervillain take- ever put the film has done it.
4: Yeah. That's the thing. So, so, yeah. But here you read this book and it's, and it's, it's done the complete opposite. It says, haha, you know, w- you know, we're not going to, you know, be, you know, moronic and we're not going to fall into the same old trap. You know, we're going to do something, you know, w- something unique, which is the obvious thing. You know, it's it, it's it's so funny that you know, it, it, out of all the storytelling and movies and everything else, that you know, this book was one of the ones that that broke that convention and 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 made it unique to to be, you know, to act like people would really
3: act. So, if everybody desires this so much, do you agree with Adrian? How, what in in what fashion? Well every well everybody all you guys are saying that this was an awesome ending, this is what needed to happen. we've always wanted to see this, then do, do you agree with it? Well, no, is this what needed to happen? Oh, no no for the for, the, for not, the not not in in this world, excuse me, in this comic universe, is this what needed to happen
1: no no well but it's, it's still it's Here we still, go. Here it's we go. still satisfying to see the villain act for lack of a better word, intelligent in that, no, of course I'm not going to tell you before it's done. That just, you know, seeing the villain, seeing the person who's committing the 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 act, the deed, the whatever, actually succeed in their plan rather than just, you know, monologuing to the point where they're defeated by their own arrogance. You know, that's, that's what's refreshing about, it. not that we agree in what his plan was from the beginning, just yeah. to see that it's written in such a way that it's like not insulting our intelligence by thinking he would do something that's dumb as to, Give the give the our heroes uh, an opening to stop him.
0: Well, okay. Well, I mean, the thing is, okay. Let's say, for argument's sake, that uh, during the whole con- at the end of the conversation, this 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 uh, panel comes out of, out of the ground and the and he's about to push the button. If assuming Rorschach and Night Owl stop him, then does does that change how we feel about Watchmen? Because I think I think, so. I think Adam's got a point then. Because I think then we do we really yeah. do want half of New York to die. No, I don't. Exactly what I'm
3: saying. I, you, yeah, I, no, I think exactly what, you're
4: saying. what I'm saying. My comments are made in the context of the events that are unfolding, based on what what, based on the way that the story unfolded. Uh, that's that's. I, I think it was the way it was done is was good. Do I think if if these events were reality, do I think that that you know that that's the plan that would have needed to happen to to. You know, to ultimately quote, quote unquote, save the world. No, I don't.
3: But, but Russ, the question is, is this what needed to happen in that reality, not this one? Of course, I mean, I know your answer is going to be no for the real world, but for right. the Watchmen universe, be. as you see it. <laughs> no. you're first, what do you? <laughs> <laughs> why do you? <laughs> you're going down no, the first I wave, think, buddy. But for I, this I, universe, think, is this is this the answer? Because the I opposite answer, guys, is Rorschach. And you know what a nut bar he is.
4: No, because I, I I don't think so. I think, you know, I, I guess I, I still think that, you know, allowed to its own devices, that things would have played out the, the way they did, you know, for us in reality. That, you know, the, the whole thing, I think the flaw in Ozymandias' plan is, and Adrian's plan is, that he he was convinced that the world was going to annihilate itself. And based on the sequence of events going on here, I don't necessarily think that that's, that that's how they would have unfolded without his intervention. Because think well, about yeah. it. His, in, his intervention and his plan is what caused John to leave. So if he didn't go down this path and, cre- and create this elaborate plan, then Dr. Manhattan would have never left Earth. He would have stayed on in America and been that deterrent Moving forward. So I think the very nature of his plan is what caused these events to to, to be necessary here. So, you, you know, if if you say Adrian's wrong and that this didn't need to happen, then you take you take all these things and unwind them. And, you know, you basically have the status quo from before the story started, which is, you know, Dr. Manhattan is the ultimate deterrent.
3: Well, you know, and there's still talk today of like loose nukes and stuff like that. That you know that that even came up during the recent election, but I guess what I'm trying to say is like, okay, I'll put it to you like this, Russ. Do you want half of New York Americans, which is Ozymandias, or do you want an unknown population of the world, non-Americans, so far between Afghanistan and Russia, and not not to you specifically, but do you know what I mean? Like that's Really, what the weights and scales are at this point? Uh, Half of New York City, Americans, or Afghanistan, Russia, plus whoever else gets pulled into this situation.
0: And theoretically, some Americans too, because there's got to be retaliation,
3: right? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, I'm wondering if we don't. I'm wondering if that decision's made because. That that you're thinking that because it's immediately not Americans, not you, but like that decision of Adrian's or uh, Dr. Manhattan's or anybody else that may agree with Adrian.
0: Despite his genius, Adrian made one really big mistake. And that's simply there's only one answer that that one that people that we're just that Russia and America are just going to stockpile and stockpile until they decide to blow each other up. What happened in real life was people gave up on that. On, on, the escalation well, also Russia, Russia kind of collapsed economically, but can't, can't people just escalate and escalate and just get to the point where they can't take it and back off. I, I mean, is so it, you're
3: saying, so wait, so you're saying it's like the Watchman lawsuit now with Fox and Warner brothers. It's just posturing. Yeah. To see that, who's, who's, it's like chicken. Who's going to back down first, right? Hey, yeah. don't forget. And we, and we, we had mentioned this before. Don't forget that there is the policy of mutual, assured, just mutual assured destruction too. I mean, let's, we can't take that off the table.
4: I, and I, and yeah. I think that's, that's what, you know, that, that's what saved the, the, the world in, in, in this universe and in ours. Well, so that's mean, exactly
1: what Agent's trying to go to, except he's trying to do it through a third party or introduce this fictional third party that, hey, you know, we got to work together or otherwise we're all going to fry. You know, but rather than having that mutually assured destruction by each other's hands, give them as this, this common, common enemy. Um, but to do it, he's going to kill a lot of people to get it done.
4: I mean, ultimately, for me, it comes down to what, you know, either Adrian was right and the world was truly going to kill itself. That the two great superpowers were going to clash without a deterrent and and. Follow through with nuclear war because that that's that was what Adrian said. You can't keep escalating and keep you know keep upping the ante with these weapons where there's no other other deterrent other than the weapons themselves and the world survives. He was convinced that ultimately the escalation results in in destruction. So it, it, either either it is or it isn't, and then and in his mind he proceeded under the fact that he didn't see any other way.
3: Well, I think this all hinges on the fact that, as we know now, there are no weapons of mass destruction.
1: <laughs> no, oh, God.
3: Well, <laughs> I know what you're saying. I mean, this is this is this is tricky, isn't it?
4: No, I mean, there's still you know the the nukes still exist. I mean, that's you know the the ultimate weapon of mass destruction, a nuclear.
0: Well, see, what we should really do is have Superman just talk to the United Nations and go, "I will, I will now destroy." All them. right, all right. That is the ultimate solution to world peace.
1: Let's, try to, let's try to get this back on track. We have got it long <laughs> enough. Okay, yeah. um, long you guys good.
3: want to jump to the pros piece real quick? I mean, this is uh, an interview with Adrian. Well,
1: just the one Pretty- comment I want, I want to say. We've oh, been we've been right. counting down to midnight th- this whole time, and, and I was expecting that when he first pushed the button at 1125, I'm like, okay, it takes 35 minutes to teleport from the Antarctic to, to New York. He's like, no, it's instant. That thing went off at 1125 New York time. You can see right on the clock on the dashboard on on page twenty eight. So I was just uh... yeah,
0: yeah. And the Bernies was... hug each other. And what? The two Bernies hug each other before they face oblivion. Yeah,
1: he's trying yeah, to shield the boy. That's what it is.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's um. You know, there no, no. we've got we've got it looks
1: like um the knot tops. We've got um. Well, everybody converged on that corner mainly up there. because of the the fight uh, between uh, Joey and her ex. Everybody started to converge on that corner. We've got the have, new
3: Fallout Shelter, which was one of the covers.
4: Every, every piece of symbolism that we've come across in this book, really, in this boil well down to this page. You the have, cases,
1: the watches, the, the, the ink blots.
4: Yeah. You notice you the watches
1: are all at 6 o'clock?
4: <laughs> yeah. They, I guess
1: yeah. they don't work. <laughs> uh, the cops are, are there. The cab company yeah. manager, the, 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 not, the locksmith.
4: Yeah, the you know the every every all the symbolism pretty much right, right there, and then everything fades out to white. And again, as we as we kind of wind up here, uh what we see on that second and last panel is uh, as as Bernie and Bernard, I'm assuming, are kind of fading out or you know turning to dust or you know whatever it is, um, the ink as they kind of meld, meld or merge together. Is is similar at the beginning of the book, where the 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 pattern they make is the same as the as the blood splatter on the on the smiley, and then the last they white. So this page twenty eight is kind of a you know almost a mirror to page one, you know where we fade out from white, and on page twenty eight we fade into white. But yeah, kind of getting back to a little bit to what you were saying, Ken. I, I agree. This, the whole thing is you're counting down to midnight, counting down to midnight, and the big The big bang, so to speak, does happens at eleven twenty five so it it made it kind of interesting i guess the plan you know unfold you know i guess the 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 plan revealed itself at midnight you know possibly i mean you know you know dan and Dan and Rorschach you know come across the plan and you know it all converges at midnight but but yeah, it was interesting that you know the whole book has basically trained you for something bad going to happen at midnight and then when you you know when you're reading through and you assume you know that you know that 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 you know, all this is going on that it happened at midnight and it, and it happens at 1125.
3: Right. And of course, you know, the doomsday clock at the university of Chicago, when that hits midnight, that's all out nuclear Holocaust. And well, uh, nuclear winter is the aftermath. Look where the, look where Dan and Rorschach are. They're in Antarctica. They're in nuclear winter. And then we've got, um, the quote from the beginning, the chapter's title from Percy Bly Shelley. Um, this comes, of course, Mary Shelley's, um, Companion and compatriot, um, known, actually, despite his extensive literary work for more of his shorter works, like Ozymandias, um, comes from uh, the poem of the same name in which, well, I'll just go ahead and read it. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. This is all about mankind's hubris. And what uh, Shelley does in a few, what is it, 12, 14 lines is recount the rise and fall of well, a civilization, and um, we've seen Ozymandius in the X Men comics right around uh, the right after the arc uh, quest for the Crimson Dawn with Psylocke, uh, Ozymandius, uh, one of Ann Sabanor, AKA Apocalypse's servants, who you know through chiseling and keeping historical records, you know more or less um, chronicles the rise and fall of civilizations. And after that, guys, we hit the uh, prose piece after the masquerade. Which is an interview with Adrian. Any uh, quick notes from the prose piece?
4: Um, a couple. I mean, for the most part, this is just kind of a standard. You know, what it would amounts to just a sit down interview that um, that that Adrian had with Nova Express. Um, it doesn't really tell us a whole lot new. I mean, it's just kind of it. It kind of has some hints and secrets as to you know what he's. You know, this interview was um, done in 1975. Um, so you know, 10 years before the events we have now, but you can definitely, in reading through it, kind of get the hints and um, sneaks at, you know, what you know what he's planning and what he's, you know, what he might be trying to, to do. We kind of get towards the end of the interview where uh, we get John's pers- or, uh, Adrian's perspective on his, his contemporaries, and he, he referred to John as, you know, Dr. Manhattan as being apolitical. Um, you know, the comment he makes is, you know, for a human, how do you tell the difference between a black Black ant and a red ant, you know, you really, you really, you know, because the end, it's insignificant. And that's how you use John is, you know, how do you, you know, in the end, you know, what do you care between, you know, liberal and conservative when, you know, neither one really have any interest or, or, um, or any, um, uh, you know, meaning to you. Um, and, well, you know, seeing the world black and white—you know, everything is 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 cut and dry—which I thought was interesting because you know, when you look at it, he wears a mask that's black and white. You know, there's no there's no gray in his mask. It's all it's all black and white. And that's the comment that that Adrian makes. Then the comments on the comedian—you can tell that you can definitely see Adrian's contempt, you know, coming through in the in the comments he makes, you know, with regard to to the comedian. And then there's a there's a comment in there, you know, where they say something about oh you know you've you've been referred to the, the the interviewer says you've been referred to as uh the world's smartest man is that true and he says no um but it's very flattering and then uh and then at the end he starts laughing he said no 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 I don't mind being the smartest man in the world I just wish it wasn't this one so you know again he you know he says no I you know it's not true I'm not the smartest man but but uh and then you know in the end it's true you know it, how he truly feels comes out where he says you know I don't mind being the smartest man in the world so again you just get a lot more of his arrogance um I, that kind of comes through in this and and uh that's about it and then of course we get uh the early ad for nostalgia it says the times they are a in, which of course is a um, nod to the to the Dylan song
3: and that song's supposed to play in the opening credits of the movie yes so it is awesomeness hey guys can you think of anything else
4: um that's that's all i've got i think uh, i think we'll be publishing our uh, longest episode to date with this one
1: probably, uh, that's probably one. yes
3: so, welcome, um, guys. our current plan is to have our buddy paul french on for issue number 12 uh, paul's from the poptopia podcast and also the legion of substitute podcasters with rainbow cloak and jim and everybody else on there um we're gonna take issue number twelve and we're gonna chop that into two episodes. Is that correct, guys?
4: That's, that's our tent.
3: Tent, we, yeah. the that's the end. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, three and a half or four hour uh um possible episode. We we thought maybe it'd be smart to kind of chop that up in half.
3: Other than that, hey Raph, thanks a lot. Really quick, um why don't you give Midtown a plug? We've got you can uh folks can order stuff off of Midtown's uh, website, right?
0: Yes, that's correct. At MidtownComics.com, it's 15% off all books, free shipping for orders over $75. And we sp- have special code word sales if you sign up for our newsletter. Uh, every week there is something new going on. The This one is, uh, this week's is uh, all back issues with the word new in them are, uh, I think, 50% off or something like that. Please do check out the website. And check out our, if you're in New York City, check out locations Grand Central, Times Square, and check out my podcast, Houstonite network.com.
3: Yeah, and you can go to Geeks Unite Network, or you can go to thecomicforums.com, and instead of clicking on Half Hour Wasted, you can click on Geeks Unite Network, and you can talk to Juan and Raph and everybody else. And, um, hey, we'd like to hear from you before Super Show to let us know how the book's going,
0: But Oh, that'd be great, yeah. I'll be back. We'd like to have
3: you back, okay?
0: Yeah, I promise it'll be four hours next time. (laughs) Um, Thanks, Raph. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, Raph. We're glad to have you on here. Tell one and everybody we said hi. I haven't talked to him in about a year.
0: <laughs> yeah, he he's I don't he's just disappeared or something like that.
3: <laughs> Tell Ian up there and everybody else at CGS, uh, New York. We said hi too.
0: All right. Um, oh, and we are and and next and at Super Show, you, me, and Ian are are gonna spend some time in the room and and catch up on. Uh, <laughs> uh, his...
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: we we always have our uh, our session at, and um at Super Show, don't we? That's pretty funny. Well. <laughs> Open invitation, my friend. Anytime you're in the area, come on down. Don't wait till Pittsburgh to uh, come see us, okay?
4: You got it. I'll be around.
3: Awesome. Hey, guys, let's get out of here.
4: So um, thanks, everybody, for joining us for Issue 11. One more to go. Um, we want to invite everybody to come to thecomicforums.com and uh, go into the Half Hour Wasted Forum and leave us comments. Um, post your thoughts on Issue 11, the upcoming Issue 12, any, anything else you want to talk about, any of the other episodes we've got. Um, be sure to listen to half hour wasted. Um, their episodes come out, um, every Monday and, um, ours are every Thursday on that feed. Um, please leave us a, an iTunes review, um, for the Watchmen comic, uh, the Watchmen movie and comic podcast on the iTunes feed or the regular half hour wasted feed. Um, as always send your emails, uh, cards and letters to comments at legion of com. Um, send us a voicemail, um, We'd be happy to, to play it on the show. And uh, with that, we'll, we'll see you next time. Good night, everybody. Thanks. Good night. Thank you. All right. There's a man going around taking names. And he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody
1: won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down.
2: When the man comes around,
1: the hairs on your arm will stand up at the terror in each sip and in each sup.
2: Will you partake of that last offered cup?